welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast with me, Tally Rye. This is the podcast that helps you have a feel-good relationship with fitness, food, and body image. And this week, I am chatting to Lucy Bishop. You might know Lucy as Lucy B Yoga, but she is the inclusive yoga queen. And we had a really important discussion today about inclusivity in yoga and in general in the fitness space. And I think what she is doing is wonderful in terms of bringing size inclusivity specifically to yoga spaces, which is so important. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation today because Lucy was fab. But before we get into that, it is time for Train Happy Trooper of the Week. This week's train happy moment comes from Joe, and Joe says, I started couch to 5k again after my strop earlier in the year when I absolutely hated it, but I'm doing it this time because I want to, not because I feel like I have to. But I was thinking when I was out earlier that back many moons ago when I was, quote, fit and did couch to 5k for the first time, how I really struggled to walk the walking parts. My ego went a million miles an hour. What are people going to think if they see me walking? Walking is rubbish. Nobody else knows I'm supposed to be walking, so they'll think I'm cheating or being lazy. I don't need to walk because I'm fit enough, etc., etc. And this time around, I do not care what other people might be thinking. And actually, they're probably not even noticing me at all. So I thought of you this morning and had to share it with the Train Happy podcast. Joe, I love this train happy moment because it truly reflects the difference between an intuitive mindset around movement when you're the one dictating why you're moving, how you're moving and going on how you feel versus doing things because you should do them and you should be worried what other people are thinking and Like you say, your ego is so part of it. And yet I love that you've been able to let the ego go and just do you because you know what's best for your body and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. So I hope this inspires other people who are maybe or are runners or have had the rule in their head that if they run, they have to run nonstop because it's not true. As you say, walking is just as valid. If you need to run, walk, go for it. Like, no issues whatsoever. It doesn't make your run any less of a run. So that is so important to hear. Thank you, Joe, for sharing. So if you have a train happy moment you would like to share with us, then please get in touch. You can find us on WhatsApp. Put plus four four in front of it if you're an international listener and you can message us to 075-999-27537. Send us a voice note, send us a text, We want to hear from you. But enough from me. It is time to get into this week's episode with Lucy Bishop. Lucy, welcome to the podcast. So pleased to have you. Um, And I'm so pleased to virtually meet you because I've had so many sort of mutual people say like, oh, Lucy's fantastic. I've recommended so many people to you. So to actually get to have a conversation on the podcast is really cool. That's so nice. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so, so excited to be here. I uh, was literally listening to your podcast this morning. So, uh, Oh, which episode? The one that came out today. With Kim. With Kim, yeah. Kim's work is really amazing. Yeah, such a... 
such a great conversation and I'm so happy to be chatting to you and likewise I have had loads of people tell me how brilliant you are so it is so lovely to have this conversation and to virtually meet. Yes I feel like we have yeah a lot of alignment in our approaches and it was actually um Ashley from Boom Cycle who teaches like very inclusive spin classes who recommended your work to me like it's so important to have those other instructors and trainers and people who are working in this space maybe in slightly different capacities but who get it so I imagine like having that network is really important for you yeah and I really have only built that network over the last few years like by being on the internet and finding people through Instagram through TikTok it without that I I really don't know how everyone working from this health at every size approach, from this size inclusive approach would have found each other before because it's such a minute part of all of the different movement and wellness industries. And it's so amazing to feel like you're not the only person plugging away at doing the thing, that there is this community of people who can support you and you can ask questions to. And it's, yeah, been so, so lovely to build that community. Agreed. I think social media has so much credit in this, actually. Like, it gets such a bad rep, but I wouldn't be doing this, any of this, for a variety of reasons. And I wouldn't have discovered, I don't think, a size-inclusive um, health every size approach at all if it wasn't for social media. I mean, I think, you know, if you think of intuitive eating, Evelyn Tribley and Elise Resch wrote the first uh, intuitive eating book in 1995 that was the kind of first iteration of that particular sort of anti-diet nutrition approach and that's I feel like only really caught really kind of blown up in the last 10 years and that's yeah. because of blogging and then social media Instagram TikTok all these places are, are really bringing the stuff into the mainstream and to people who may not have heard it before so yeah we we as much as we can criticize things, yeah. especially <laughs> social media, like it's, it's, it's got some good sides. And yes, connecting us and um, connecting these kind of, this way of thinking is, is really powerful. So for those who don't know you, you're a yoga teacher and I was reading about your own journey a bit and how you had gone to yoga for years as kind of punishing your body in a way to change your body and always felt like a bit left out of that and not didn't feel seen didn't feel represented and I would just I'd just be really interested to hear your experience and what that feels like because I think maybe some people listening don't know what that feels like and others certainly do so I would just love to hear your your perspective yeah of course I I started practicing yoga when I was 18 um purely the physical part of the practice asana the postures uh wasn't really aware of anything beyond that and it was just something I think when I was in sort of height of eating disorder or height of sort of dieting, masking eating disorder behavior, but like not as serious as my eating disorder. So it didn't really feel like uh, it was a problem, uh, which was, I guess, the majority of my 20s. I felt really drawn to yoga. I kept sort of doing like extreme 21 day passes and going every day and then like not doing it for six months and then finding a hot studio and going twice a day and these really like punishing horrible like relationship with that movement being like this is exercise and I need to get it done and I need it to be the hardest and it doesn't matter if it does if it hurts or it doesn't connect to my body that's not the point but alongside all of that there was this thing that kept bringing me back to the practice that I can't really put my put into words necessarily 
but there was something about it that like, didn't make me feel terrible in the same way that other sort of movement I was coming to in an extreme way did make me feel like I've never now I have a health at every size PT and I do have like a regular relationship with the gym but in those days I couldn't keep that up with the gym but I always always came back to yoga but then saying that it was often very uncomfortable I often had comments made on my body people were like very surprised that I had a practice and had an ability to do quite a strong practice uh, I felt really just physically uncomfortable in the space. Like I couldn't take up space with my body. Uh, and I think I had experiences where people were visibly disgusted by my body, like wouldn't adjust my body. I had experiences where people would tell me, talk to me like I was a beginner before actually asking me if I had a practice or being uh, over, I once had a teacher be really verbally complimentary in quite a condescending way for quite a long period of time in a public class. And that made me feel really uncomfortable. It, I felt it was always being singled out in what was meant to be this group experience. And because what was being taught to me was we must go hard. There's alignments you have to do. There's not options you have to do. I was like, when I get small or when I'm really strong, then this will be the practice that makes me feel good. And it wasn't until I really addressed my relationship with food, I really rela- addressed my relationship with my body, that then I came back and was like, oh, <laughs> there are other ways to do this. There are other paths. And there are teachers out there that if I go into their classes, don't make me feel like I don't deserve to be here or I need to change to be here. Because I think there's so much in so much of wellness that is aspirational. Like when yes. we look like the instructor, then we will be happy, Mm. then we will have everything. When we have, you know, the floaty clothes and we've gone fully vegan and committed and, you know, we have the energy of walking on water, that's when true happiness happens. Mm. And I think as anyone who's had uh, a relationship with movement that has been aspirational or a relationship with wellness that has been aspirational and they've gone up the ladder a little bit and realised that nothing underneath is unknotted or unsorted out and it just feels like an empty hollow victory I think anyone who's had that experience which I'm sure almost all of us will have had on some level that's that's the lesson isn't it that it's never about how you look and it's never about doing something which takes you further away from yourself we want to do things which bring us back Uh, but it's hard when the whole world is telling you you need to change that to know that you are innately perfect and you are innately whole and that there is nothing you need to do to have to be valid. Like it's hard to remember that I think when the whole world is telling you otherwise. Absolutely, like you say, having instructors who that the vibe is like train like me to look like me, that that is the goal, and especially with yoga, which is a spiritual practice. Yeah, that having that um, be the focus that that you're trying to do this to change the external to manipulate your body in some way I feel like is kind of counterintuitive to yoga itself yeah it's it's absolutely a part of the cultural appropriation that happens with yoga that this uh westernization this celebration of the thin this celebration of one type of body I mean it's as simple as uh if all of your mats are really close together in a yoga studio 
maybe you have great inclusive teachers, but you're telling everyone that there's one way to be and you need to fit into this little square. And if you can't fit into this little square, you know, you're not welcome in this whole spiritual practice, which has so many lineages and so many ways you can interact with it. And almost all of them, you don't need to be physically moving your body to engage in. And it does feel like a real bastardization of the intentions of yoga. Um, And I think as a teacher in the West, that's always a really complicated thing to be working around and to be reflecting on um, and how size inclusivity from my perspective feeds into that as well. Yeah, it's a big, big, big topic. It is a big topic, isn't it? And that is one of the sort of part of that whitewashing of wellness and of self and yoga that it's become more of like a Gwyneth Paltrow thing rather than its roots. And yeah, I imagine there's a lot of sensitivity that that you have to, you know, work with as a, a teacher and, and to kind of create that environment that, like you say, um, because I think, you know, your experience bringing in that size inclusive element as well is also super important and super valid and super necessary. And also you don't want to be kind of treading on the toes of those who you know where this this is their culture you know completely and i think we must honor the roots of yoga what all teachers and we must all do things to extend our learning around that and also practices evolve and they need to be supportive to the people that they are coming to like ashtanga yoga which is uh, where a lot of the vinyasa style lineages come from was designed for teenage boys Mm. and i don't have a body like a teenage boy like, I, of course, I have to adapt the physical shapes. Can I think about what the intentions of those movements are and recreate them for different bodies? Absolutely. That's absolutely possible. And we can honor where yoga has come from and evolve the practice to support people who are living in the here and now. I think that is both things can be true. So obviously you had your personal practice. Then what has drawn you to, you know, for this to be your career, your, your work? Yeah, I actually did my yoga teacher training uh, like over 10 years ago. After I came out of uni, I got a job teaching English uh, through the power of theatre when I graduated and I got like a lump sum of money uh, that at the time I thought was loads and loads of money. And either I was like, I can get a flat in London that's not really horrible for a couple of months and then probably really struggle to pay the rent after that. Or I can do something fun. And my friend was doing a yoga teacher training and I'd like done a bit of yoga. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go do this yoga teacher training. I'll go to India. That sounds amazing. And it was amazing, but it also really consolidated the idea that I shouldn't be a yoga teacher. Like I walked away from that training going, this was great. I learned so much. What was celebrated here was not uh, people like me being in the space. Like it was uh, definitely people who could do the most complicated postures, who had the strongest practice, who received uh, the most celebration in the training. And I walked away really confirmed that someone who looked like me shouldn't be a yoga teacher, uh, which is quite sad, I think. Yeah, that is. Uh, But also at the time I was still very much... uh, dieting still very much engaging in disordered behaviors I don't think I would have if I went into that training now I think I would really have the space to advocate for myself and ask the questions I wanted to ask and enable that training to have more of a focus on inclusivity for me Uh, but at the time I just like didn't have that language didn't have that understanding 
So I put that to the back of my mind. Uh, I started a theatre company when I came home. I worked in theatre and I worked as a movement director. So I was always teaching movement and working with different bodies and working with different uh, movement abilities. And I did a little bit of yoga teaching here and there, but like really not very much. And then the pandemic happened. Theatre went to bed for a bit and I uh, didn't have any work. And I was like, what am I going to do? for money and then I was like oh I have this yoga teacher training but like I can't be like a full-time yoga teacher I, I was teaching privates here and there to sort of people who looked like me and I was like no one's going to want me in the yoga space no one's going to hire me at a studio like there's no way but my friends were like you should you should be teaching like you'd be really good you should start doing this so in the first summer of lockdown when we were allowed outside I was teaching small uh, groups in parks and I really loved it and I felt just so peaceful in that and so connected and it it really felt like the right thing to be doing it was a real like aha moment like this is this is where I'm meant to be and then I kept sort of like renting community spaces and doing my own thing and then on Instagram a studio got in touch with me and they were like we love what you're doing we'd love you to bring it into our studio and I was like oh people People want more inclusive practices. And then from that, I started working with more studios. I started my online uh, platform. And also I started running trainings for other teachers to have more size inclusive practices. Because I think what happened in my teacher training is really the norm for a lot of trainings. And also a lot of people who are attracted to becoming yoga teachers because of the experience because we haven't had teachers in bigger bodies. We haven't had that representation, especially in the UK. I think in America, like fat politics is so much further ahead of where we are now, but we has, because we haven't had that representation, there are just not that many plus size bodies coming through teacher trainings. So when you're on your teacher training, you're teaching your fellow students who are often other people in smaller bodies. So they just, even if there is an inclusive element to the teaching, you don't get that practice. So that is uh, something I feel really passionately about is allowing other teachers to support everyone in all bodies. Because I don't think it should just be plus size teachers teaching plus size bodies. We all need the skills to support everyone in everybody so that we can integrate and practice together. I think that's the that's the ultimate aim. Yeah. It's inclusivity, isn't it? It's I understand the need for people to have a safe space in the sense of for example I've got a client who is in the US and they have found a class that's specifically called fat yoga and they were like I didn't even know that because I feel so not welcome in the the, the kind of reg, regular classes that I need this because I need to build my confidence here but the like you're you're right the ultimate goal is to integrate all of that together because it shouldn't be right you need a special thing and yes there are going to be certain accommodations that are really important especially for those in bigger bodies um and also all instructors and all teachers should have the tools to navigate all of that yeah, absolutely. I, I co-run a company called Big Yoga Club and we run monthly sessions, which are specifically for people in bigger bodies. But that's more about meeting in community than it is mm. about uh, segregating from the rest of the yoga community and allowing us to discuss and chat and talk about how it feels to be in this space and move together. And I really, like you said, think both things 
are needed. Like yes. if there is a group which is marginalized, that group deserves that support and understanding together, but they also should be welcome everywhere. Totally. Like we all need in our lives people who get it. And if you're finding yeah. them in a yoga class because you're practicing people that get it, that, you know, that, and you're with an, a teacher who's like not even, you know, you're not having to necessarily go, all right, I need this, 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 that you're already kind of preempting a lot of that. That's so important and needed. So I think it's great you're doing that. Thanks. Yeah, it's really like grounded feeling when when you were like, I know that this is what I meant to be doing, that all the pieces are falling into place. And that doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean you don't have to work really hard, but it feels like where I'm meant to be. And Mm. that is, uh, yeah, so such an amazing feeling uh, after it being a space that I felt so unwelcome in. And then also me putting my preconceptions about being unwelcome in that space. Like it's only in the last couple of years I've really built a community of yoga teacher friends because I'm like yoga teachers won't want to like they won't want anything to do with me and that's obviously not true Mm. I've just felt so rejected and so uncomfortable that I've removed myself so that I don't because I'm scared and now I feel like I'm pushing that away and allowing myself to be in the space and take up space and uh yeah connect with people from all different experiences and that has been yeah really energizing and just wonderful what's the What's the conversation been like with other yoga teachers? Are, have you found other people kind of doing what you're doing? Have you found other people who've gone, wow, I really respect that you're really carving out this sort of niche in this industry that's so needed. I really want to learn from you. Or is it other people who are like on a similar wavelength? In So I'm based in London and there's like a small group of plus size yoga teachers in London that I'm aware of like under 10 and there must be uh, you know thousands of yoga teachers mm. in London I've definitely found more plus size and inclusive community online spread out which has been uh so great to chat and talk about ideas and also talk about bad experiences I think my general interactions though are like what you're doing's especially with straight size yoga teachers is like what you're doing is so great that's really cool and then some people are like let me learn about it I want to lean in and then some people are like I think I'm inclusive enough Mm. and I'm like I don't know if you because in my trainings we don't just go this is a posture and this has a few different ways that bigger bodies can interact with it like we talk about fat politics we talk about weight stigma and the impacts of that on plus size people and we talk about the why Mm. size inclusivity is so important and I think if you haven't engaged in that, and if you live in a smaller body, uh, you might not have needed to, to this point that, you know, totally. if, if it wasn't involved in, yeah, like what's pushing you to learn about that. And as much as I think we all should be learning about it, like, you know, I think it's, uh, that's, uh, that would be amazing, but I think people need a way in, people need a reason to learn. And I think sometimes people think size inclusivity is, yeah, we just add a block in, here and there. And it's like, no, it's about understanding that all of your students could benefit from having more options, from having open language, from not doing alignment cues, from integrating the breath work, the philosophy, the meditation. Like, it's specifically for plus size students, but everyone benefits from more inclusive practices mm. and we need to understand the why. So if a teacher knows how to add adaptations with blocks like lovely great more 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 of that but I do think there is like a sometimes a bit of resistance to being like well I'm not you know 
I'm, I don't have uh, uh, stigma towards fat people. I don't have anti-fat bias. And it's like, well, we all do. I do. I am a fat yoga teacher whose job it is to make people more inclusive. And I am still working against my own weight stigma, like because of the world that we're in. And I think people don't want to sometimes have conversations about the fact that we're all taught to hate fat people. But it's important to have those conversations because I don't know how you move forward without them. I think sometimes people just want to kind of like gloss over it and it's just, you know, like the shiny, shiny, lovely, lovely wellness world. It's like, no, we need to like get into the grit of this and feel uncomfortable. And then from that, we can grow. So I would say mixed. I would say say people are up for it on the surface, but sometimes I think a little, uh, especially in London where I think the type of wellness we have here is naturally the most inclusive. Mm. I don't think that's what's been bred Mm. uh, here. But also we have the biggest range. So the things that are inclusive are so good. And there are people creating such amazing spaces. But then we also have like the other the other end of that. I, I'm i hearing a lot of parallels. And you know, if we have conversations around race, say, and no yeah, one exactly. wants to say I'm racist. And yet if you're swimming in white supremacy, like you won't, you have been touched by it. Like, you know, yeah. and it's the same thing, isn't it? Like, no one wants to admit that because no one wants to think, oh, everyone thinks that I now hate fat people. And the truth is, like you say, this is a conditioning. This is a societal yeah. conditioning that we have all experienced. So no, you're not going out of your way to harm or hurt people. And yet some of the assumptions you might have, some of the, you know, like assuming that every person in a bigger body coming to your class is a beginner, is anti-fat bias because you're assuming that they can't do any, they can't, um, they haven't done it before or they're beginners and they're on their weight loss journey. And even just assuming someone's on a weight loss journey is anti-fat bias because you've you've already gone, well, clearly they'd want to be in a smaller body or, you know, oh, they must want to be in a smaller body. That is anti-fat bias. And often it's your own biases projected onto other people because you feel like that about yourself. So all of this is, you know, it's not that this stuff doesn't exist in a vacuum. And I think people, but you're right. It's scary to feel like you can acknowledge that. And I think, you know, that's why, um, you know, the term like anti-fat bias, I think may be more helpful for people than fat phobia, say. Um, Like I'm fat phobic because I think, an anti-fat bias is like, yeah, I hold these biases and I can challenge them and I can change them. And, you know, I'm not held in this position forever. Like I can learn, I can grow, um, I can do better. And that's all people want. People want people to try to do better. And I feel like that is true in so many spaces, whether we're, you know, talking about so many things, whether it's racism, sexism, like let's just try, you know? Yeah. And and it, it it it's an unlearning. Like yeah. we don't we don't yeah come into this world with these preconceived ideas. Sometimes when there's so many things that we are trying to unlearn, we're trying to unlearn weight stigma, we're trying to unlearn racism, classism, all of it. It can feel really like there's so much and there's it's so heavy and it's and it is and it's hard, difficult work. But also I think it's an we didn't come into the world with all of this stuff. It was stuff that we've added along the way. 
And that gives me sometimes when I'm finding it really hard, it gives me a little bit more hope in like it's things we're taking off. Mm. We're not taking things that are innate to ourselves away. We're peeling off those layers that were put on us repeatedly all the time. Mm. But then coming back to yeah, knowing that everyone has innate worth and value and they don't need to do anything to prove that. Yeah, and having that that kindness and grace with yourself of going like, I'm a human being, I've clearly learned a lot of stuff, I've internalized it as well. And now I, now I like you say, now I can peel off the layers. I love that. I can yeah. peel off the layers. Which is also what I think my yoga practice has been really helpful for, mm. being able to sit in that discomfort and also trying to come back to sort of my innate yeah, self and my value and not having like we learn with diet culture that I have to earn my value that there is moral value in being better at yoga and I think also better at yoga is sort of you know a non-term you you can't be better at it but we've in terms of like the postures there's no moral value in holding a handstand for five minutes but we place that on there's no moral value in eating celery over a cake but we put that let's put that on and again it's taking that taking it all away, peeling mm. it off. It's not real. It's so, so hard when you see your pal holding a five minute handstand video and then you're like, I, I, I'd love to be able to do that. That looks really cool and fun. Uh, but it's obviously doesn't matter. Like it's fun to try. It's fun to learn. It's great to have goals. It's great to have things you're working towards. But ultimately, if it makes you, again, feel like that stick you're going to beat yourself with, it's just no point, is there? I know that years ago I think it may have been like 2018 I went and I was really lucky enough to go and do a yoga retreat in St Lucia so I can't complain it was stunning Um, amazing (laughs) I felt so shit about my yoga I was so like everyone there was doing like incredible headstand poses and I couldn't even do um oh my god I've got the term it was like the very beginner term if you were going to go into a headstand the first pose you do crow I want to say What's it called? Oh yeah, crow, Bacassana when you're you're yeah. bringing your knees onto your upper arms. Yeah. Yes. Um, I can't do, I'd never done that and I just couldn't do it. I could maybe hold it for like all of five seconds. And when everyone else around you is like, oh, suddenly naturally brilliant at it, you can't help but feel like shit because you're just comparing yourself. And one thing I yeah. talk a lot about now with my intuitive movement clients and the people I work with, that to help them have a better relationship with movement. And I would wish I would go back to my 2018 self and say, you can still enjoy something and not be good at it. And you, that doesn't, that isn't a requirement of you actually partaking in the class, whether it be yoga, whether it be surfing, whether it be whatever, like you don't actually have to be good at it for you to give it a go. Like that's not a requirement. And I feel like people do, and especially I imagine in yoga, because like I say, the poses especially, they kind of feel like, oh, unless I can do X, Y, Z, I'm not gonna be able to do that class and blah, blah, blah. And I imagine it puts people off. It absolutely puts people off and it removes the fun. Like you're saying, you didn't have a good time feeling like that. And to balance only on your hands, let's say, and you'd never done it before and you were able to hold it for five seconds, like that, to me, I hear that and I'm like, that's amazing. And I understand why you wouldn't have that mindset when everyone around you feels mm. like they're basically a gymnast. But that doesn't mean that also like, in my mind, when I think have something like that, I'm like the person at the front there that I really feel like I want to be able to do that posture. There is someone in front of them who can do that posture 
different, better, longer, prettier than them. And they're thinking about that. Do, do you know yeah. what I mean? Or they could be thinking about that. Like there's always... Like with weight loss, there's always the next bit down. There's always that upward comparison, and, isn't there? Of like, there's always, you can always be better. You can always strive for more. And you're right, that's such parallels with diet culture there and, and diet culture thinking and diet mentality thinking of like, okay, well, okay, well, I got to this point. Now I have to improve to the next level. And we can't just ever be completely. satisfied with where we're at. It, it can be really fun to be bad at things. Mm. Like learning is really fun and to be messy and to put no pressure on yourself and to feel like a beginner. If you come into that, with the energy that it it you are a beginner you will mess up but there's loads to learn and there's loads to explore and that is really exciting I think or it can be really it obviously can be really scary as well and you need to have someone making you feel really comfortable I think for mm -hmm. it to feel like an exciting thing and I think there's many things that are like said in yoga that create this hierarchy of asana hierarchy of postures of um that we don't even, I don't think teachers are even realizing they're saying like, for like if they're saying, if you can't do this, something which maybe we perceive to be more complicated, do this. So it's like, oh, I failed at this. Now I'm going to do mm. the easy thing. And it's, so, it's tiny little bits of language that reinforce this idea that we should be doing the harder thing. And if we're not doing the harder thing, we are a bad person, which is uh, just so horrible to experience as a practitioner and also I think makes the progress less fun like it's great to progress it's great to move towards postures you couldn't do before there are so many lessons in failing at postures and you know becoming better at things like that's so much fun but we take away all that fun when it's like if I'm not perfect it's not worth it yes like if I'm not good at this straight away it's not worth it which yeah I get all the time like it, I'm not <laughs> I say this and I'm not like above any of these thoughts like they <laughs> they happen for me absolutely right? just, yeah like it's, you know you can know it all in your brain but to not feel it or oh, that's a different that's a different kettle of fish like it, it helps when you're aware it becomes I think I've got a lot better at it but it's not gone Oh, absolutely. Just it away. I'm still a perfectionist. I still want to do things right. I still get frustrated. I, you know, I want to be good at all the things. And like you say, I'm, there's certainly that voice still running riot at times. And yet now you have the other voice that goes, okay, you're also just a human being. You're also just trying to yeah. figure it out. Like, it's not that deep. It's not that serious. No. Like, you're just having fun. Movement on a basic level is like adult playtime, right? Yeah. It should be treated as if this is like the physical break away from all the other stuff going on in your life. And you can do with that what you will and make it playful, make it fun, make it like, just give stuff a go. Like it's really not that deep. Um, and I always say that when I'm teaching to people like, this isn't that deep. We're just having fun. <laughs> like, it's not the end of the world if you didn't do your best class today, whatever your best is. Um, it doesn't matter. The, the main thing that matters is that you have time for you. And that's all we care about. And that you, maybe you've chosen to move in this way this time and other times you'll do another form of movement. That's okay. I think we also have this stereotype of the yoga space is like very serious, like a very like pure and mm -hmm. serious space. And I think like cultivating a focus space is really amazing. I don't think it always has to be a, 
a really dry focus space. But I think sometimes that focus uh, is really wonderful and helps you connect. Uh, and I think discipline is, again, a really wonderful part of the practice. But those things don't have to mean serious. Like we don't have to have like an entirely silent space. And if you accidentally like kick something over, you get like daggers in the eyes from like four people who are like sitting there trying to like meditate as hard as they can. That also I think comes into other wellness practices as well, that it must be really serious because the more serious it is, the more important it is and the more like your spiritual growth is going to happen. And I think for some people, those spaces are great. And I think if that's how you like your space held, that's lovely. But I I don't respond well to feeling like I'm a naughty school child. I, uh, I want like there to be just a bit of like a sense of joy mm. in the space. And that doesn't mean like cracking jokes, you know, being really over the top, but just like, you know, we can have fun here. Yeah. And if something goes wrong, it's not bad. Yeah, absolutely. I'm the same. Like I, I you know, I like a certain level. I know when I'm teaching as well, like we're, like like you say, it's not like a laugh a minute necessarily, but that there's this, <laughs> I want to create a lightness where it's like you get to, you get to do what you need to do today. And there's no judgment around that. And I'm not in charge and like you report to me and you know, I get to yeah. decide whether you've done a good job or not today. You have the autonomy. You get to make the choice about what yeah. the class is like for you. And you get to decide how you want to move today. Maybe you do want to challenge yourself today. Maybe that is not on your agenda. And what you need today is to just be here in this room. And that is fine too. And I think that unspoken isn't there sort of, I don't want to use the word permission because I, once again, I feel like that implies that like I'm an authority in that respect, but that you create an atmosphere where people get to make those choices for themselves. And like you say, as as an instructor, when I'm teaching, for example, I'll, I'll teach some spin classes tomorrow. I will repeatedly say like, you know your body best, you know what feels good. I trust you, trust yourself, you know? And I think sadly, a lot of people do not trust themselves and they do look for that guidance. And they do look for people to kind of tell them what's wrong and right, and this is good and this is bad and you're not doing enough, do more. But really, actually the power comes in helping people trust themselves again. And that that is the lasting piece for me when it comes to movement, that if you have that connection and trust with yourself and things are on your terms, it's a whole different experience. Yeah, completely. And that, you when you say it, it's so simple, mm. but it's, if you, especially I think if you don't, like it's, it, in so many ways, it's such a gift to get to part of your job to be connecting back to your body or working with your body or working in a way that makes you feel good and, and supports your own wellness. But if, you know, you do one hour of intentional movement a week and that's what you can carve out in your schedule and that's, you know, absolutely lovely and your whole life you've been told like, uh, it only um, counts from when it burns or if you don't hit a number of calories, the movement doesn't, it, it might as well not happen or it doesn't matter how your body feels. If it hurts, that means it's working. To you know, slowly, yeah, come back to, I know my body. I can feel my body. I know what feels good. It's the most empowering thing you can give to a student. And 
it sounds simple, but it is, I think, massive. Mm. I think that's why now I've really steered towards helping people cultivate that relationship with their bodies because um, to me, that is the most rewarding thing because who am I to tell you what's best for you? But I want to help you figure it out. I felt that there was something missing there. And I suppose likewise you have within yoga, right? Within that yoga community that we need to have more conversations around how we can make this more inclusive. Completely. And I think there's an interesting thing with all, to an element with all uh, spiritual wellness practices is that we have this lingering overhang from the culture of gurus that has Mm. some people have taken advantage of that position. Like there are lots of uh, people in the yoga space who have uh, done really terrible things because people are, I think, drawn to wellness, drawn to yoga when they are vulnerable and they don't want to think about that autonomy. They just want to hand themselves over and be like, you guide me. And then there are people in positions of power who abuse that and take advantage of those people. And I think uh, sometimes that has trickled down into yoga, into wellness that like the teacher just says it and they don't have to explain. They don't have to tell you why. You just, and I think there is something to be said. Like, I'm definitely like, I want to understand. I want to ask questions. I want to... understand the why behind everything and sometimes I think it's just good to sit in experience and like I don't need to keep asking questions I can just like to try and turn that part of my brain off and experience but there is a hangover of um yeah just believing that I think yoga teachers like know what is better for you are have more spiritual worth than you are like yeah innately better than you in some way And I think that's really dangerous and really problematic. And as teachers, we shouldn't be doing anything to encourage that because sometimes that's not what the teacher's doing. That's what the student's bringing to the space. But I think as teachers, we have to be super, super aware that we are not cultivating that in any way. Yeah, yeah. Um, On an extreme level, like, you know, it can get a bit culty. Can get a bit culty. Absolutely. (laughs) There's also like the yoga clique, isn't there? It's, Mm. It's not a cult necessarily, but... I know there's like the cool teachers or like the studios people are in with or the like, uh, I think there's a real thing of encouraging uh, practitioners to become teachers because they have a good physical practice, which doesn't mean that they have a good awareness of the practice as a whole. It doesn't mean that they will necessarily be, be good teachers. I think lots of people do teacher trainings to deepen their practice, but I think we there has been a history of studios being like, you're really good at, you know, your handstands and your headstands. You come on the teacher training and uh, they're not necessarily, you know, coming from a place of wanting to share the practice. Being good at something and then helping other people achieve that are actually two very different things. And I could say the same for the fitness industry. Um, You know, just because you're good at working out doesn't mean you're good at helping other people work out, nor should you be helping people work out. (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's a skill, right? So it's a skill that we should be cultivating. Like you don't have to begin being a fitness practitioner or begin being a yoga teacher and be a good teacher or a good guide maybe straight away. But we also like, (laughs) if you're not, good at the guiding or the teaching bit you need to invest in that Mm, as much as you mm, invest in mm, lifting things mm -hmm. up or doing doing your you know physical practice it's all like (laughs) you have to be good at it straight away but we have to acknowledge that 
it's a skilled thing. And also being able to teach in an inclusive way, I think any type of movement is an incredibly skilled practice to be able to teach multiple ability levels, beginners, experienced people all in the same room. Like people who can do that well, I think it's such an amazing skill. Mm. And I think it, it really, when you get a teacher that is just teaching in whatever they're teaching to one group of people, all they're going to get is that group of people. Like people will come, they will know it's not for them. Mm. And then they will leave. And they'll be like, why aren't there more people at the studio of a diverse range of ethnicities, body sizes, all the rest of it? It's like, well, because you don't put on anything that supports them. They probably come and then leave. Yeah. They probably are coming to try it and then they're going off. Um, It's so true. So on a practical level, I wanted to ask, are there just a few little nuggets that you would like to share with fellow yoga teachers who may be listening to the podcast about just small ways in which they can make a big difference in creating a more inclusive space? Yeah, um, I would say practice with a diverse group of teachers. Uh, We have access to the internet. There are so many amazing teachers in different bodies and those teachers will naturally we'll find it easier to teach towards what they look like. And I think we can just get so much information from going to classes, seeing how other people teach. There's always something to learn there. If you if you don't feel like you have plus size people coming to your classes or uh, you feel less confident just because, because you haven't had the experience of teaching people in bigger bodies, if you can find like a family member, a friend that you can teach a little bit to and get some really honest feedback, Um, So someone who's going to be honest with you, and it doesn't need to be loads, but I think if you haven't got experience of living in that body, speaking Mm. to someone who actually lives in that body will um, just be so, so, so helpful. And I would always think about how you can create space. Like if you can imagine what it's like to have more mass on the front of your body or on your legs or, you know, on your bum, like we can imagine what it's like to have a different body. And I would remind people that if it's a shape where if you were smaller, you'd have more space, how can you create that space if someone had a bigger proportions? I think it's really helpful to think about it like proportions, because I think sometimes we get a bit like uncomfortable being like, I've got a big belly, I've got big boobs, whatever. So if you can think about like, oh, I've got a wider set of hips and I'm going to do the same thing. How would that work? Um, But if you can, I would yeah, practice with teachers in different bodies and try and if you don't have the opportunity to speak to your students find people you can speak to who have different bodies to you and get some real honest feedback and I suppose follow you on Instagram and other diverse (laughs) teachers right yeah completely um I run size inclusive trainings there are other people who run inclusive trainings like that they exist and I think uh it's a great place to start and it's a great place to ask uh loads of questions so if you want formalized trainings, I've got one coming up in London uh, in September. And oh, if you're going to do a teacher training, ask if there's uh, parts on inclusivity. Ask if there are people coming in from diverse backgrounds to teach about inclusivity. And if not, ask why not? Mm. Because they should be included on those <clears throat> trainings. And they're starting to, absolutely. But, you know, if you're paying for an experience, you have some power in changing how that experience is delivered. Absolutely. So Lucy, before we finish, I have to ask you, as I ask everyone, what has been your most recent train happy moment? 
So I, I started climbing at the beginning of this year. Um, one of the places I teach is a it has is a bouldering centre. Oh, cool! Uh, so we get we get we can climb there when we're teaching. And I've been like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to climb. It's stupid. Which normally, if I'm being that uh, negative about something, it's probably something that uh, I want to do and I don't feel like I can do. And I'm having a little tantrum about. Um, and then this year, I was like, no, you want to try this. And I have been going once a week my friend who also teaches there who was a really good climber who's been helping me out and we go in the morning when it's dead so there's no one around and it it's it's so much fun it's so hard but we've been going once a week now so for like six months ish and I haven't really been tracking my progress but she was helping me with a route and she was like use your feet and I haven't been able to work out how to use my feet like I've been doing it all in my arms uh and she was like use your feet put your weight into your feet and I did it. And I was like, oh my, you've been telling me to do that for six months and I haven't <laughs> been able to do that. And I used my feet and it made it a lot easier. And I was like, wow, I am making progress at this. Uh, and I really just love that it. Um, I, it's just so out of my comfort zone. And I've managed to like, make a commitment to doing it regularly. And I've made it like a social fun thing as well together. So yeah, that was a really good moment. I love that. I think, I think like you say, especially things like, um, is it like indoor climbing or is it bouldering? Because I know they're slightly different, aren't they? Yeah, it's bold. I think, but the, the climbing purists would say bouldering. bouldering. Yeah, there's no, there's no ropes. Right. There's no ropes. Which is even tougher, right? So yeah, I love that you're doing that. I love that you're trying something like totally different. And I also love that they put on yoga classes. Like that's cool as well. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's um real good complementary movement. Yeah, on a totally. Generalization, climbing makes you really move forwards and yoga makes you open up well lucy this has been fab where can people follow you um practice with you learn from you and um, where can they do all of that so i am on instagram at lucy b yoga just the letter uh my website is also lucy b yoga and um, i have online classes that i teach i teach uh in person around south london and then i do lots of events uh my trainings are all on my website and i've also got a retreat coming up in tuscany this august uh, which is an inclusive yoga retreat we've got two spaces left uh so if you are you know wanting to go all the way to italy to do yoga with me then uh that's a way you could do what it a place to do it sounds yeah, incredible very nice very nice sounds yeah it's gonna be full of carbs and yoga is gonna be great oh sounds fab lucy this has been a pleasure i hope i get to meet you in person and i hope i get to maybe come to class one day i would love that that would be so nice i would love that too yeah thank you so much for having me on it's been really lovely to virtually meet you but that is it for this week's episode of the train happy podcast thank you so much for listening i hope you took something away from this episode and if you did please do let us know on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. And we do want to hear from you. We want your questions. We want to hear your train happy moments. And we'd love to feature you as train happy trooper of the week. So remember, you can get in touch with us via our WhatsApp. It is 07599927537. And whatever podcast platform you're choosing to listen to us on, please rate and review it really helps the show and it really helps spread the train a happy message and that is it for this week i'll be back with a brand new episode for you next monday see you then mm-hmm.